Today's scripture reading is actually on a handout that many of you probably received on your way in. If you did not, I think we have a few copies, so please let someone raise your hand high and we can get one to you. I think everybody's good, actually. So the passage is Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. This is the encounter on the Emmaus Road. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago. But there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So they went in to st- he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? They got right up then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So I I counted an honor to welcome Kathy to our service this morning. You know, as you go along in life, you look back and you realize that there are people who their very presence in your life made the big difference. Kathy's one of those for me. She is somebody who has always asked the question, why? Always pushed for a little bit more. Always been willing to entertain a new idea and think of things afresh. Not only that, she and Rich are founding members of this congregation. 
they married Kendrick and I on this very platform? What more can I say? But I'm just thrilled that Kathy's here to share with us this morning. Come on, Kathy. Let me pray for you. Oops. Oh, that's All right. I'm not even up there yet. I know. <laughs> you can fix it while I pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, thank you for bringing Kathy to us this morning. I know that you are active in all that she does. We see the evidence of your spirit at work. We look forward to its presence this morning. We look forward to the words that she will share. Guide her as she leads us. In Jesus, the Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Testing. <laughs> Are we good to go? Okay, I'm trying not to cry. Good morning. I cannot tell you how delighted I am to be here and worship with you all. Um, oh, it's good to be home. <laughs> I bring you greetings from Rich and Will and our wonder dog, Heston. They're at home. I think they're watching, maybe. Um, they wish they were here. This morning, we're going to open the scriptures together, and I've printed them out, or just did for me, for you as well, um, even though it was on the overhead. We're going to look at this scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 24. This charming story is one of the best loved of all the resurrection narratives, and it's my personal favorite. And it was kind of funny because when um, Jerry and Jeannie called me and asked me if I'd be open to preaching, I said I'd pray about it, but that very night before they got back to me, I dreamt this scripture. And I went, I think I'm supposed to go, okay? So it was just amazing. To tee up the story, though, I'm going to set the setting, okay? It's three days after Jesus' execution and what we now call Resurrection Sunday. This is that day. Four women had waited for the Sabbath to end, and on that first day of the week, they'd gone very early to the tomb and discovered it was empty. They run back and report to their friends that Jesus actually is alive. But their announcement and their experience sounds like absolute nonsense and not one person believes them. Oh, these women. But Peter and John jump up, and they ran to the tomb to check it all out. And they did not see Jesus. He was gone. When Jesus died, the group of followers that were his followers they were huddled together and became a body with its heart wrenched out. 
They were terribly afraid, and they were without any hope. They certainly didn't expect a sequel to the story, but there is a sequel to the story. And here's one episode of it. And it's one of seven post-resurrection appearances that happened in the first week alone. I love this story for several reasons. First, it's because it has all the elements of an incredible narrative. There's an interesting setting, an amazing plot, a full range of emotions. Yeah, we've got sadness, confusion, sorrow, humor, epiphanies, and joy. And then there's some really great character development. It's like watching a movie. Secondly, I love it because it's a great study of our humanity and also of Jesus in human form, all but now he shows up in his resurrected body. And thirdly, I love it because there's something incredibly moving to me. In one of the Lord's first appearances, post-resurrection, happening to two very humble, very ordinary people. We know they were not apostles, but just two people walking seven miles together from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And who, like the rest of Jesus' followers, were beyond despair and totally caught off guard by the circumstances of the Passover weekend that had just happened. Shock and confusion were their companions as they walked together. Notice with me that of the two travelers, only one of them, Cleopas, is named. And we don't see him named anywhere else in the Gospels. It's the only time he shows up. And there's quite a few opinions about who the other person is in this scene. Now, many scholars think that it could have been Cleopas's wife because the Greek here does not demand the translation of the word men. And it would seem kind of logical. Maybe it's a couple walking home, talking, crying, freaking out. We don't know. Other scholars think that it might have been Luke himself. And because he wrote it, he just didn't feel the need to mention it. The point I want to make is we don't know who the other person was. And we don't know the complete mystery of really what went on. But you know why I love that? Because it allows us, you and me, to be the second person. Yeah, I love that. We put ourselves in the second person's place, no matter what our age, our race, our experience, our history. We put ourselves in this movie and on the road to Emmaus. Now take a minute and read through the story. I want you to go back to the story on your own. And I want you to, as you read, to imagine with me, imagine yourself 
in this scene. We're in the movie. You're the second person. Note what strikes you. Take a pencil or a pen. Underline anything that leaps out at you. I'll give you a couple minutes. Go. How are we doing? Ready? I wanted you to read it with yourself in, in the movie. And I've titled our message today and this movie, the title is So Many Questions. Because that is, in fact, the focus of these verses. We all have questions. I do. And I'm sure you do, too. As the scene opens, we have these two travelers discussing, arguing, N.T. Wright translates the word, as they walk along the road about all the events of the last three days. They're wondering what to make of all that they had seen and heard. After following this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, and hoping, as Luke points out in verse 21 here, that he would be the one who would redeem Israel, it would be actually very normal for them to say to each other, what happened? Pardon me, but I'm sure we would say, what the hell is going on? How could we have been so misled? Were we conned? Is this thing real? Haven't we all at times experienced these types of questions and doubts and mega confusions? I have. <laughs> well, their feelings at that moment and their questions were totally appropriate and legitimate. Hey, they knew that Jesus died on the cross. My word, they saw him dead. Imagine the sorrow. Jesus, their leader, the epitome of love and closeness. He's gone. He's gone. And in, as verse 20 says, so unfairly so. 
their own chief priest and their own leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And now, as their heads are down and they're commiserating together, up walks Jesus, who joins them on the journey. And Jesus asks the first question. What are you talking about? You're obviously having a very important discussion on your walk. What is it all about? And the text says, and I love the little description because you can feel it. They stopped in their tracks. They stood still, full of a picture of gloom. (laughs) But I love, well, let me say, they did not recognize Jesus. And the verse says they were prevented from recognizing him. You know, I still think they probably thought, hey, this guy looks a lot like Jesus. But the passage tells us they did not recognize him. And why not? Well, because one, humanly speaking, you don't ever expect to see someone alive that you already saw dead. You don't go to the funeral and then say, oh, there's so-and-so afterwards, you know. Or something supernatural happened that prevented them from recognizing him. But either way, take a look at Cleopas' response. It's the next question. And in the vernacular, it probably went something like this. You gotta be kidding me. Are you the only person in the whole region who doesn't know the events of the last three days? And Jesus responds with another question. What events? And then Cleopas unloads the whole story of despair. And you can feel it with him, can't you? In verses 20 to 24, he tells, this, he tells this new walking partner about this prophet who was recognized by everyone, God and people and everybody, for his powerful deeds and his powerful words. But then what happens? He's sentenced to death. He dies, he's buried, and yet his body disappeared. They say, the women who had gone to the tomb stunned us by saying his angels told them that he was alive. We are totally confused. Have you ever felt like you were going on in life, headed in the right direction, and then all of a sudden... Everything that you thought was right is now wrong. Everything is confused and nothing makes sense. And your only experience is doubt and disillusionment. Everything else gets yanked out from underneath you. I've felt that many times in my life. I remember being on the edge. We struggled with infertility. We had adoption mishaps that were horrible. I have a child with cerebral palsy. The other one had a brain tumor cancer at age 10. And then she had a major stroke at 21. And then I had a career move that was so fun and joyful and a real success, and it was pulled right out from under me. All I knew, and maybe you too, is that life 
doesn't make any sense. Your sense of reality is totally shifted. Or maybe you've had a significant trauma that you felt ripped inside out, leaving lifelong emotional scars. There's so much we don't understand in life, so much mystery, and often there's no answers. There's times when we just can't find Jesus. We're lost, and that's exactly where these two were. They're lost. They've given their life to follow Jesus, and they're, they're lost. As Cleopas pours out his heart, Jesus listens, and then he tells them something. He says, your minds are dull and full of unbelief in all that the prophets taught. Oh, well, that seems a little heavy. So Jesus then begins with Moses, the Pentateuch, and he moves through all of the prophets, pointing to himself in all parts of it. He tells them of a consistent divine purpose, the terribleness of sin that is found throughout the whole Old Testament, and also, though, of the deep, deep love of God. And then comes Jesus with his questions for his friends. Verse 26. Wasn't it necessary for Christ, for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Ah, we've come to the climax of our movie, the turning point, right here in that question. Jesus explains that their minds are dull because they had missed the whole point of Jesus' death on the cross. You see, they'd been looking for the glory, the rescue, the cha-cha-cha. You know, like, yes. But right there in the prophecies, written in the law and the prophets, was the dark side of Jesus' mission. It was necessary for the Messiah to suffer in order to enter into his glory. God is not defeated here. Jesus triumphs through his suffering. We too live in a world with deep pain and suffering. We can triumph only through the suffering of Christ. But you know what? That wasn't the end of it. Because after the suffering, Jesus entered into his glory. And these two on the road missed the whole point. But Jesus begins to draw them out, stirring their hearts with his questions. Friends, this is a profound moment. Don't miss it. Because this is actually Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah talking here. And although they didn't recognize Jesus, as he talked, there was a transformation going on here. One that was an instruction and maybe one of healing. Because there was a deep, 
and strange interest and a pleasure, some intense feelings that they bodily felt while in his presence and while he shared with him with them his words of explanation. And why do you think that's so? I think it's because this is not the Jesus they remembered or they knew before. The one they saw die on the cross. Period. The end. This is the Jesus that rose from the dead. We're on the other side. Yet, guess what? Jesus is still a stranger to him. They still didn't get it. I don't feel alone anymore. <laughs> but they're intrigued, and it's late in the day. So they invite him to come home with them and eat with them. Now, although Jesus is a guest, and let's face it, a stranger to them, Jesus did something so out of the ordinary something always reserved for the head of the household. He acted as the master of the feast, as he used to do when he was with his followers. And he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to him. Just like he did the night before he died. Well, that took a little guts, don't you think? <laughs> a little authority, maybe? This is the image of his broken body his death on the cross. But when the travelers eat the bread, the text says what? Immediately their eyes were open. The obscurity removed. They saw him to be the risen Messiah. But, interesting little plot twist, Jesus disappears. Boom! He disappears. And here comes our next question. The travelers look at each other and go, wow. Again in the vernacular, wow. Were not our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? Now, quite honestly, I don't think that would have been my first question. <laughs> I think we would have said what? Where'd he go? Right? I guess he skips over that one. Were not our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? And now remember, they had walked seven miles to Emmaus that day. And then they settle in for supper in the evening. It's, a long, it's, it's been a long day. And yet, Note what happens. When their eyes were open, they were completely energized. It says they got up immediately and went to Jerusalem to tell all the disciples who were gathered together what had happened to them. It's nighttime. It's dark out there. It's even scary, maybe. And they didn't even wait till morning. They got up right away in their excitement. And they went all the way back, seven miles, maybe all night. I don't know how they did it. But they went to Jerusalem to tell everybody 
what they'd experienced. Folks, that's a lot of adrenaline. What changed for these guys, these two companions? What changed for them? Where did the urgent burst of energy come from? Verse 33 to 35. Their hearts were transformed by the risen bodily presence of Jesus, the Messiah. They recognized finally that it was, in fact, Jesus who'd been walking with them the whole time. Now let's take a little moment here, a very right brain moment, my nod to all my mentors who've taught me about the whole brain. Let's look at the emotional state of these two and what they were feeling throughout the whole narrative. At the beginning of their journey, their sorrow, their confusion, their despair, and then at the end of the journey, at the end of the story, the joy, the excitement, the adrenaline, the movement, it, it, all got, it made them get up and go. What do you think they felt at that moment when they realized that it was actually Jesus that was with them and shared with them over dinner? I'd say, shall we say, two kinds of heartburn? As N.T. Wright says in his little book, Surprised by Hope, quote, Jesus took on a human body, flesh and blood, and this human Jesus joined with all the mysteries of the Jesus of the heavenlies, who was there in creation before the beginning of time and before the foundations of our world. And they're joined together in Jesus himself. There is the embodiment of heaven and earth. Friends, that's the power of God. Have you ever had an experience where something happened to you and there was a sudden awareness that it had something incredible had just happened, but you kind of like took a minute to kind of go, wow, what was that? And you, you, you stop and you, and you check your body and you realize, whoa, I'm really elevated here, you know? That's what we're seeing. Why? Because the Jesus in human form and the Jesus of the heavenlies linked heaven and earth for us, for them. Luke's story is all about how difficult it is for us to see Jesus for who he really is. How could God's royal power and love be revealed through this man's shameful execution? How could a humble man become king of the world through weakness and self-sacrifice? It doesn't make sense. But this is the surprising message of Luke's gospel. And our minds must transform to see and embrace Jesus' upside-down kingdom. Do we really see Jesus for who he really is? Are we looking for the glory without sharing in the suffering? Do you feel lost or maybe totally confused? Or maybe you have feelings of betrayal 
or there's a trauma that you feel from an injustice done to you. How do we get through that in a world weighed down with so much pain and sorrow and so much chaos? Do you feel it? I feel it. It's been hard. Our hope is in the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's the whole linchpin of the movie, friends. It's actually the whole linchpin of life. The resurrection and therefore the glory of Jesus. And we live on this side of the resurrection. Jesus is alive and God is at work. And he can handle all of the questions and doubts. All of it. The older I get, on a personal note, I've embraced a kind of mantra. Some of you have heard it because you know me well. But I've embraced this mantra, especially when my reality is awful. And my mantra goes like this. It is what it is. And Jesus is in the middle of the what is. And do you know what, how that recalibrates me? It's like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, like, one minute you just feel like, oh. The other minute you're like, oh. And then you know, it's just this mantra. It is what it is. No denying it. Don't pretend. Don't try to go, well, you know God does everything for a reason. I mean, come on. It is what it is. And God is in the middle of the what is. That is truth, my friends. Do we believe that? Not without probably help. <laughs> right? We need, our, we need each other to help remember. In difficult times, Jesus is closer than we ever imagined. And we are loved more than we ever knew. Do we believe that? Are we recognizing that Jesus is in the middle of everything, all the places we go, our conversations, our thoughts and ponderings, our worries and our sufferings? Remember, we live on this side of the resurrection. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has been unleashed on us, on you, on me, in me and through me, in you and through you. He's on every single road, and he's with each of us. The resurrected Jesus takes over through his Holy Spirit and drops the scales from our eyes so we really do see him. And he brings not only his glorious presence, but a whole different reality. This sets us apart, guys, to live on mission. Wherever you go, with each conversation that you have, and in all our thoughts and ponderings, we represent King Jesus and his kingdom. You know, I used to think that, okay, this is my marching orders, you know? I need to represent Jesus and his kingdom, so I need to go bring Jesus to this. Oh, man, how blind. I don't need to bring Jesus anywhere. Jesus is already there and at work. 
I just need to pay attention and join him and think of my whole presence as being on mission. I want to leave you with three questions. And listen as I ask them. See if any one of them just leaps out at you. And put some thought into it. Number one, are your eyes open? Or are, you, are your eyes maybe blinded to the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? You might come to church every week. You might even study the Bible. But are you, are your eyes open? Number two, like Cleopas and his companion, what assumptions or biases might be blocking your ability to understand the real meaning of the cross, the necessity of the cross? Number three, does your heart burn within you as you walk with Jesus? Where are you in the movie? Thanks for letting me share.